Thank you for being here tonight, and thank you for the opportunity, preacher, for letting me come Sunday night and tonight. And uh, these have been uh, two uh, wonderful days, three wonderful days, uh, kind of a change of pace. And uh, I just feel like a different fella. I know I don't look any different, but I feel different. And uh, it's just been a delightful time. Thank you for your prayers for our ministry. I do want you to continue praying. Uh, I begin a meeting over in McDonough on this coming Sunday. And I'll be there for a week and then go up to Winston-Salem for a meeting and then to Lexington and then up to uh, 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 Pennsylvania uh, where my song leader will be, uh, uh, Billy Kelly. So you need to pray for me in that meeting, please, and uh, pray for real strength to be able to endure. Uh, Billy sets up uh, till 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning playing his fiddle, and when he's not doing that, he's out of fishing all night. And uh, I don't have a big old thing like that and keep going, but he does. just amazes me. And uh, pray for that meeting, and then I'll go up to Blairsville, Georgia the following week uh, for a meeting there. And uh, I can't remember beyond that point where I'm supposed to be. I'm going somewhere. Uh, my wife usually tells me where to go, and boy, can she ever. But anyway, uh, she uh, kind of keeps up with me and uh, sends me in the right direction. So do pray for us as we continue week after week preaching the Word of God. All right, for a few moments tonight, I want to share with you a, a truth found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, and I'd like to read beginning at verse number 3, and we'll read through verse, or rather read verses 3 and 4, and then we'll skip down to verse 13 and read verses 13 uh, down through verse 15. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and we'll read beginning at verse number 3. Immediately, I think, as you open your Bible, you will be aware that this passage contains the parables our Lord gave concerning the sower and the seed. The subject has been dealt with many a time, but uh, as I studied some months ago, the Lord impressed me with something I felt I needed to share and talk to the people of God about all around the country. So I feel like tonight I need to share this truth with you, and hopefully it'll give us some uh, inner understanding about the way things are going and why they're like that in the lives of a lot of folks. Reading then in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, at verse number 3, the Bible said this, Hearken, Jesus says, that is, listen, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Now, I'll not read the other portion of this parable that deals with the sowing of the seed. Some fell, you remember, on an earth that was uh, uh, hard, and uh, there was a rather earth that had no depth to it, and uh, uh, the seed sprang up immediately, but it soon withered away when the sun's heat began to bear down. And then uh, another instance, the sower sowed the seed on thorny ground, and when they was sowed there, 
there. The thorns sprang up and choked it out. And yet Jesus said other fell on good ground and it brought forth fruit. Some, he said, brought forth 30, some 60, and some an hundredfold. And then the disciples begun to inquire about the parable and the meaning of it. And Jesus, at verse 13, these words are recorded. And the scripture says, And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? The sower soweth the word. That is, the seed is representative of the word of God. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, this passage that I want us to deal with is the first part of these four instances in the parable of the sower and the seed. And uh, in this particular first instance, the seed was sown on the wayside ground or on the pathway. And uh, we could simply call these uh, the, the pathway representative of what I would call the pathway hearers of the Word of God. Or I think we could call it by another title, and that is simply, strictly for the birds. And that's what happened when the seed fell on the hard pathway. The fowls of the air came and, and picked up the seed, and thus there was no fruit bearing. There was no bearing of harvest as a result of the seed not taking root in that soil. Here then is the parable that deals with man's response to the Word of God. There are four kinds of soil that are referred to here. And likewise, in the four kinds of soil, they are representative of four kinds of hearers of the Word of God. Now let me ask you to notice this. There is nothing wrong with the sower nor the seed. This is not the problem and that was not the reason that the seed did not bear and bring forth fruit. Even so, it is not the sower, our Lord Jesus, nor the seed, which is the Word of God, that presents the problem as far as seeing evidence of fruit in the lives of many men and women, even in our churches in this modern day. But here, the thing that seems to answer one of the most distressing and perplexing questions for me, and that is this question... When the Word of God is preached and taught, and you oftentimes give the Word of God to the same people in the same congregation over and over and over again, and yet there seems to be no fruit born as a result in those lives. There is no going forward. There seems to be no walking with God. But instead, many actually are going adrift and, uh, and not uh, uh, not bearing fruit uh, in 
their lives. And that is a distressing and a perplexing thing to me. I began to question that in my ministry and said, Lord, what, what seems to be wrong? Why is it that the same people hear the word of God over and over and it bears no fruit, whereas some in the same audience can hear the same word of God and you see evidence of fruit bearing, of growing, of developing, of moving ahead in their own lives. So here I think there is the answer to that perplexing problem of the inability on the part of many who hear the word of God. God not to bring forth fruit. Now, here's an interesting thing that you'll find in the Bible. In the Song of Solomon, for example, chapter 4 and verse number 12, also chapter 5 and verse number 1 and chapter 6 and verse 2, the Lord's bride or the Lord's people are often referred to as a garden. Uh, we're like a garden in his sight. And a garden is for the purpose of bringing forth fruit and being able to produce. So our Lord refers to us in that passage that so illustrates for us the bridegroom and the bride or our Lord Jesus and his bride, the church. And then Isaiah refers to us again as a garden, that is the people of God as a garden, in chapter 58 and verse 11. So I think we're on safe ground when we say, that here in the soil there is a picture of many in the family of God who are a part of a garden of God but yet there is a problem in their life when they hear the word of God it does not take root and consequently does not bring forth the harvest. Now, uh, if you're familiar with the eastern lands, uh, uh, the gardener, the farmer in that country, unlike here in ours, uh, uh, the gardener there is, uh, is often desperately poor. Uh, he has small holdings, nothing like the hundreds and thousands of acres that you find in many of our farms here in this country. Uh, there is a constant toiling and tilling and caring for that little plot of garden or field that he has in order to make it uh, profitable and productive. And so in this instance, there's the picture of the eastern farmer, the eastern gardener, and as he sows the seed, he discovers that there are these four kinds of soil in that little garden plot of his. He sows the seed over all the garden. And by the way, I think we can insert here that the Word of God is for all. Uh, it is not a selective few that are granted the, the privilege of hearing the Word of God. Even those who are hardened like the pathway hearer are like those who have no depth or those who are uh, thorny ground hearers as well as those that are good soil and good ground that bears fruit all hear the Word of God alike. And so here is the farmer, and he finds that there are these four kinds of soil that he has to deal with. Now, if you've ever traveled in that part of the world, or perhaps seen pictures of it, uh, you'll see that the whole countryside is a patchwork of little garden plots. Uh, many of them are, are surrounded by rock walls that the farmer has gathered out from the ground and made him a wall around it. 
But all of these little garden plots, you'll find this. Look like from a distance a massive spider web with little uh, intersecting trails uh, that not only connect the garden plots, but literally go all the way through. Now, those pathways are not made necessarily by the gardener nor the farmer himself, but rather it is a public passageway. Uh, it is like a, a trail that we have here uh, in the country or like a sidewalk. It is a public means uh, of folks, uh, and they do not ask permission. Uh, they do not ask if it's all right uh, for them to walk through the gardener's plot. And so their pathways uh, that are beaten by the constant trotting of feet over that pathway that leads through that garden spot and into another and so on and carries the traveler to his destination. So uh, likewise, uh, when you look at many a heart, you find that in even the family of God and the church of our Lord, there are a lot of Christian men and women uh, who have certain areas of their life that these strange feet continuously are trotting across their heart and their mind and their emotions, their personality, and making that particular area of the garden of their life resistant to the accepting and the receiving of the seed so it can bear and produce fruit and produce harvest. In other words, there are many areas in our lives that often and become hardened to the very word of God. And so those areas that are hardened by those constant strange feet that are trotting across our hearts and lives, when the word of God is sown, uh, we may hear it, but our attitude is like this parable suggests. Our attitude is when we hear that particular claim of the word of God is simply we say that strictly for the birds. Have you ever had that, maybe not in so many words, that thought, but when the preacher's giving some truth from the Word of God, that's the very attitude that often we have toward certain things that are taught in the Bible. We just will not accept it. We will not let it into our heart because that area of our life has indeed been hardened. So what constitutes the condition of this hard surface in the plot of the gardener are those that travel that pathway and thus make it hard. So when you sow seed on that hard soil, it's like throwing seed out here on the concrete or like sowing it on wood. It just does not accept it and will not respond and will not produce fruit as a result. Now when I begun to think about that, I begin to question uh, what are some of the things in life that often uh, cause us to become hardened to the Word of God. Oh yes, we hear it up here and many of us can quote it. And many of us can turn right to the passage in the Bible when the pastor gives the Word out. But yet there is no fruit born as a result. Uh, there is no going forward. There is no production. There is a lack of genuine response on our part to that truth that we hear and even that we agree is truth, but yet we just are not bearing fruit in that area. Now, there are some things that cause that hard in the area of our life. Let me suggest a few and think with me. 
First, I believe that the area of our, or rather, the, the fact of our friends, the choice of our friends, often has a hardening effect in our lives to certain things that the Word of God teaches us and commands us. That's the reason I think it is very essential when a person becomes a Christian that he be careful about his old friends before he became a child of God. Now, I've seen this. I'm sure your pastor has, and you have seen it as well. You have seen that person has come to be saved and no doubt really born again. But then they go right back to the same old crowd. They're under the same influence. They're under the same kind of philosophy and the same kind of thinking. And before long, that heart that was made tender by the experience of salvation has become hardened again in some of those same areas areas of his life and often it is a result of the influence and the philosophies and the thinking of those unsaved friends that he finds himself back again accepting into his bosom embracing them as friends and that their that very association has a tendency to cause one to become hard in certain areas of his life those unsafe friends can inject wrong ideas in our head. That is, wrong ideas contrary to the Word of God. Things that are diametrically opposed to the Word of God. And when, you, uh, when you're among those friends and you're trying to maintain that friendship, oftentimes uh, you'll find that those same friends uh, will laugh at the Bible They'll laugh at the teachings of the Word of God. And the first thing you know, you'll find yourself coming back to church and the preacher gets up and preaches uh, and he hits that subject that those friends uh, have certainly laughed at and mocked uh, and derided. Uh, and as a result, you find yourself becoming hard inwardly to even that command of the Word of God. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Nod your head like that if you do, huh? Uh, not Now, if you don't, I'm going to start all over from the beginning, huh? All right. <laughs> I knew you would. You're very helpful. Okay, so I want you to get this. So it is the fact of our friends that we choose that often harden us in those certain areas of our life. Now, not only that, but I think we could say something else has a hardening effect in our lives so that we become unproductive and the fruit of the, uh, of the Word of God does not produce fruit in our lives. And that is the area of the literature that we read. I don't think enough can be said about the importance of reading the right kinds of material. Uh, you ought to be careful what you let come into your mind. A.W. Tozer said that any man or woman who picks up a book or a magazine or an article to read, they become clay in the hands of the writer. And I think that's often true. And if that is true, then we need certainly to be careful about the things that our minds consume for much of the literature that is printed and published today is anti-Bible, it is anti-God, it is anti-holy living, and thus when you consume that, there's an, there, there is that easy thing and the great possibility that when you come to the house of God and you hear the preacher preach something that is from the Word of God that is dimensional, Metrically opposed to the literature and the thinking of the modern day, we find ourselves hard to that area. 
And when the preacher gets on that area, our attitude is, well, that's for the birds. I'm not going to accept that. I can't follow that. All because either of our association with certain friends or the literature that has been so conditioning conditioning our mind that we will not hear the Word of God. Not a literature, but movies, uh, the television programs we watch, uh, the radio programs we listen to. These things can have an effect. In other words, a man doesn't hear anything in life without it having some kind of an effect. And the things that we read ought rather to soften and tender our hearts for the things of God rather than to harden them. Surely we cannot say that anything is right that we read or, or, or watch or listen to that has a hardening effect in our hearts toward the precious Word of God. And so not only then are the friends that we have that cross this pathway within the garden of our heart and make it hard and literature, but let me mention another. Hang on and listen carefully. Much of the music that modern Americans listen to has a hardening effect in the heart to the Word of God. Uh, modern day rock music, for example, uh, that is satanic demonic and I don't know what else I could say but yet so anti-God and anti-morality and anti-Bible and anti-holy godly living and yet when our minds are constantly and our emotions are constantly being stirred by the lyrics of rock music and the beat of rock music I guarantee you when the preacher gets up the first thing you'll find before you realize even what caused it is that your heart is hard that even those areas of the Word of God that the preachers talk to you about, that that rock music affected. Now, it may not be an open rebellion at the first moment. It may simply be an attitude of, well, that's for the birds. That's not very important. Uh, the fact that the lyrics of rock music may... Uh, encourage the uh, uh, use of narcotics and dope and uh, encourage uh, sexual immorality. And yet when the preacher gets up, oh, we hear that and we know what the Bible says, but in many a life, that area of life, it becomes an unproductive part of life to the Word of God because we've been hardened by the emotions that have been stirred and the mind and so forth that's been stirred by modern-day music. Now, I think, I don't have to tell you folks this, there are literally, in the Bible, over 500 references to music. Now, God must have considered music important, and it can have an effect on a person's life. Uh, you can hear a, a march, for example, like one of John Philip Sousa's marches, those old, uh, old-time marching bands, and uh, they can play some of those patriotic numbers, and man, it makes your backbone kind of stiffen up, and uh, you want to square your shoulders back and stick your chin out and pull your belly in and uh, salute the flag. Uh, music has an effect that stirs the emotion. Uh, when you hear uh, good gospel songs that exalt the Lord Jesus and give praise to him, something happens down in your heart. It conditions your heart. And so for that reason, if music has such an effect, and by the way, remember too uh, that when old Saul became angry, uh, David uh, played his heart and... Uh, as a result, Saul's spirit was calmed as a result of the playing of that music. 
Now, I, I believe that we need to be very careful about the kind of music that we lend ourselves to lest those things subtly harden our hearts to the Word of God and we're not responsive. And many a time, youth workers and preachers and mothers and dads, they, they question, what in the world? Why doesn't my child respond to the Word of God? Why is it they know the Word of God, but they will not surrender to what God says in that area? I believe here's one of our problems. And so there is that hardening effect that comes by music and all of that, but pleasures in life, often pleasures. And yet, let me say, God is not opposed to pleasure. He is just opposed to godless pleasure. Uh, the Bible talks about pleasure and says at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's a godly kind of pleasure. And the Lord's not against that. Uh, pleasure to be what it ought to be ought to have God at the center of it. And, and a Christian of all people can have one of the greatest times of anybody on the face of the earth. God's in the center of it. But yet pleasure of the type that the world goes after has a hardening effect on the heart of a man as to its responsiveness to the Word of God. Uh, somebody called this a hedonistic society. Uh, it's almost heathenistic really, but the word is hedonistic. And the, he the doctrine, the philosophy of hedonism is simply this, that the, the goal in life is pleasure. Uh, that's what we live for. And yet how many people do you know in this country of ours, in our America, who simply all they're out after is pleasure. That's the one goal in their life, to have a good time. Doesn't make it difference what it is. They just want to have a big bang, a big blowout. And they seek after pleasure, no seeking after God, no seeking after the things of God, but one who is bent on the goal of life, and that goal of life is pleasure, I'll guarantee you his heart becomes hardened to the Word of God. He will not respond to what God says unless that old ground is plowed up and disked up and tended to by the very Holy Spirit of God. They're not only pleasures, but let me mention another thing that I believe hardens our lives and makes us unresponsive to the Word of God, and that's our thoughts. The thoughts of our mind. The Bible has so much to say about the right kind of thoughts. And little wonder when you remember what Solomon said in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You, be, you are the sum total of your thought processes. Uh, you act the way you act because you think the way you think. You act toward other people the way you act toward them and react toward other people on the basis of how you think. And that's the reason the Bible says so much about the proper kind of thought life. If a man's thinking is not right, I guarantee you his actions are not going to be right. The Bible said in Philippians 4 and verse number 8, uh, Paul said, uh, uh, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. When you read that verse, you find that the thoughts, uh, the things God talks, talks to us about and commands us to think on are, are the kind of thoughts that would tender one's heart. Whatsoever things are pure, that's a tenderness. Whatsoever things are lovely, there's a tenderness even that comes to the emotions of man when you think about something that's lovely. 
Whatsoever things that are, are, are pure, lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are of, of honest report, uh, these things have a way of tendering and softening our heart toward the Word of God. But thoughts in the other realm have a way of hardening us to the very Word of God. For example, uh, we may have a thought of ill will against somebody that we know. We feel like that they are, they've done us wrong. They've hurt our feelings and our thoughts are, are harsh toward that individual. Our thoughts are full of malice and evening the score. And when the preacher gets up and preaches like uh, from Ephesians 4, if that is our thought pattern, when we hear that command of Scripture, our attitude's going to be, well, that's, that's for the birds. That's strictly for the birds. I'm going to get even with that fellow if it's the last thing I do. So you see, it hardens our heart to the very Word of God. Are you following me? Uh, on, on, are you understanding me? Uh, am I making it clear? Nod your head like that. One fellow nodded five minutes ago one direction, and that's all. I, I appreciate if you do it both ways. Huh? All right, now watch this. So the thoughts of our mind have a way of hardening us. By the way, remember this. A man is not, a man is not what he pretends to be in public. But what he thinks about in private what you think that's what you become and yet what's the first thing you think about when you're alone what are your thoughts when you're by yourself you don't have anybody to impress nobody to uh, you know nobody to make a good showing uh, to and and what do you think about in private the Bible said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is it. In other words, it's not what we pretend to be in public, but it's what we think about in private. That's what we are down the inside, you see, what we dwell upon, those thoughts. And often, in the same illustration I used a moment ago, there's that constant predominant thought in our mind, often, of getting even to that fellow if it's the last thing I do. Uh, forgive? No, I'm not going to forgive. Oh, yes, the Bible said, be kind in our forgiving one another, but for me, that's strictly for the birds that's not for me so you see what happens it those thoughts just constantly back and forth are beating even into a harder surface that pathway across the garden of our heart and then let me mention one other and that's the matter of our ambitions our ambitions in life have a way of hardening our hearts to the very word of god that reveals the will of god for our life now, let me ask you this. What's your goal in life? What's your real ambition? You see, an ambition is like a pole star. The mariner uh, guides his ship by that pole star. Uh, it is the one thing that regardless of where he goes, he always wants to stay on course with that pole star. It is a goal out there. And whatever we do in life, if there is some ambition, it may be a godless ambition. It may be nothing more than a self-centered ambition that God's will has no, nothing to do with whatsoever. It, it may be a desire to be powerful. It may be a, a desire to be popular. Uh, it may be a desire and an ambition to, uh, uh, you know, the pleasures in this life, to try everything the world has to offer. It could be a hundred and one different things. But I want to say this. If that ambition of yours is not backed up by the will of God, you're in for a hardening process in your life when it comes to what the Bible says to you about God's will.
A young fella I met down in Thomasville, Georgia, just uh, oh, a month or so ago, and the youth director in the church introduced me to this young fella, and uh, the youth director had already told me that this young man had said to him, I feel God wants me to preach. But he said, uh, I have other plans. And he said, I've tried my best to encourage this young fellow to prepare himself for the ministry. If he knew God called him, had called him, and that's what God wanted him to do, that he ought to set his, his sail and, and, his, and his face in that direction. So when I talked to the young man, I said to him, I said, uh, what are your plans? And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to join the Air Force. I said, uh, you feel like that's the will of God for your life? Well, he said, I don't know if it's the will of God or not, but he said, that's what I want to do. And everything that that young man had been doing in his life was, was governed by the ambition that he had to just get away from God. And so when the Lord had talked to him, uh, when God's word would be so plain, yet he, just, he would not receive it. Uh, that was for the birds, it was this attitude. And yet when a man has the wrong kind of ambition, when the word of God comes zeroing in on that area of life, his heart is so hardened, he will not respond, and he becomes unproductive and unfruitful in his life. Often we know that the will of God for you and me as a child of God is that we be a faithful witness to the Savior and, and for his gospel. But yet how many a child of God has other plans for his life? Oh, that our wills could be broken and crumbled and softened that when we hear the word of God, we would say, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, then that's what I'm going to do. I like to meet people like that, don't you? I never will forget when I lived in the state of Mississippi, right after my wife and I were married and we were pastoring a church out there. One night in a men's meeting, we had uh, some men get up and they were giving testimonies as to the blessing of tithing in their life. Just had a men's meeting. And several men got up and talked about how God had blessed them and uh, as they had surrendered to the will of the Lord in the matter of their finances. And after a while, a young Air Force boy stood up, long like a fellow from Kentucky by the name of Veach. And this young fellow stood up and he said, weeping, he said, uh, you know, I haven't been saved but about uh, three months. But he said, you know, this is the first time I've ever heard anything about tithing. Now, I can't imagine a fellow being around a Baptist church three months and not hearing something about it. But nonetheless, he said, listen, evidently, if you'd heard it, he, hadn't, he yet hadn't really heard it. But he said, oh, he said, listen, I, I, how much I missed out on. These fellows gotten up here and talked about the blessing of God and how God has, has poured out his blessing in their life as a result of their faithfulness and tithing. And he said, I've missed so much in my life already because I didn't know about this very thing as, it be, as, as it's taught in the Word of God. And he said, from now on, you can count on it. He said, I'm going to be a tithe. Now, that ended up. Ain't it encouraging to meet somebody with a tender heart like that who is saying, if God says that, then that's what I'm going to do. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to close. Is there some area of your life that God's been trying to break through in and that area has been real hardened against what God said in his word for you? Is there some area that you just, when you hear the word of God, you know it's the truth. Preacher Bill may be preaching, somebody else, a son's new teacher, and you hear the Word of God, but somehow it's, you just push it aside. Uh, it lays on the surface of your life, and of course, given an advantage to Satan who comes and steals away the truth.
But all listen. Is there some area in your life that's become hardened to the very commands and the order, the will of God as expressed in the Word of God? Is there hardness there? Let me say this. If any of the things that I mention, and there are many other things I could mention, but I think you've gotten the point. If, there, if any of the things I mention are having a hardening process in your life, check it out and ask God to help you to make some right choices. Uh, choose the right kind of friends. And let me tell you this. God doesn't choose your friends for you. Do you know that? He leaves that up to you. As far as, as, far as the books you read, the literature you read, the television programs you watch, the radio programs you listen to, God doesn't choose those for you. You make that choice. And if you make the wrong choice, you've made a choice that will bring about a hardening effect in your life. Not only that, but God does not choose the pleasures you pursue. Oh, he, he directs us. He utters his will. He tells us what his desire is for our life. But yet God does not make that choice. That's a responsibility that God's given you in your life. Make the right kind of choice in relation to your pleasures and all of that. But God does not choose your thoughts. He doesn't choose the thoughts you think. He, would, he, he desires to direct our thoughts. He desires that our mind be filled with the truth of God and with the very word of God. But you're the one who chooses the thought patterns in your life. So be careful in the choices that you make in life. Do you realize literally you could change your whole life as a Christian tonight in, 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 a, matter of, in a matter of moments? If many of us would change the thought processes and the thought patterns of our mind, I guarantee you there would be a difference in the doing and the actions of our life. But because our minds have been set and hardened like cement, God cannot somehow, though the truth is there and the word is given, God is unable to direct our ways or we're unable to respond to his direction because of that very hardening effect in our life. So some seed fell by the pathway, on the hardened pathway. Having that hardness, the seed was not received into the soil. And as a result, though the seed was good and the sower was doing his job, yet it bore no fruit because of the hardness of that soil. What kind of soil are you? When you hear the word of God, do you receive it and let it bear fruit? Or are you just with an attitude that's for the bird, not for me? Let the bird have that. Or do you in your heart say, O oh Lord, I want that for my life. If you said it, God, and I'm convinced you said that, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm responding to that. Lord, if you're telling me to pray, that's what I'm going to do. If you tell me to witness and win souls, that's what I'm going to do. If you tell me to tithe, that's what I'm going to do. If you tell me to be a missionary, a pastor, a preacher, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. If you tell me to be a businessman, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. I don't want to be hardened in my life to your will. I believe if we mean that with our heart, the Lord's Spirit can invade our lives and bring about a softening and a tendering of our hearts that we not be hardened. The Word of God in other places warns about that hardening of heart. I think of what the Proverbs said in chapter 29 and verse 1, that he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck. In other words, men are often hardened by reason of being often reproved and not responding to that reproof. 
In other words, we know what we've been reproved about, but we're not going to change our way. And because we're of that attitude, that strictly for the birds kind of thing, we just grow harder and harder in our life to the reproof of the Word of God. There's a hardening that comes by continuous neglect. Over in Hebrews chapter 3, it's interesting to find that three times in about ten verses, the Bible warns about harden not your hearts. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. Harden not your heart as the, as the people of Israel did when they provoked the Lord to anger. Don't harden your heart. And then we're warned in, in Hebrews 3 down at verse 13 that sin and the deceitfulness of it will harden our hearts. They're hardened, the writer in Hebrews 3, 13 said, through the deceitfulness of sin. So there are things that can come in your life that will harden you and cause you to become unproductive. God help us to be soil that's receptive to the Word of God. And I'll guarantee you, when you really receive and apply the truth of God in your life, there's going to be some evidence of it, some fruit, that'll daily, clearly be seen in your life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, these simple thoughts tonight, we pray, will be used of Thee to help us to examine our hearts, to see what kind of hearts we have. To see what kind of attitudes we have when the Word of God is taught us and, and when we read the Word of God in the privacy of our own homes. Oh Lord, may we not grow hard in our hearts. And those strange feet that seem to often trod across our hearts that are hardening us, Lord, help us to deal with those things. 